This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. Among many other things, Rava Ray is a freediver who dances with humpback whales in the depths of French Polynesia. She describes herself as a water woman. The ocean is her home. So when it came to giving birth to her children, this is what she wanted close. But trying to fulfil that wish wasn't easy. Rava shared her journey as part of the recent award-winning documentary Pacific Mother. She joins me now for Morea. Rava, welcome. Hi. Rava, it feels right to start off with your own birth story. How did your mother bring you into this world? I think she um, she made some mainstream decisions and um, went into a hospital and gave birth to me. I have two older brothers. She also did the same thing. So I think it was natural for her to just have her third child the same way she had the first two. So in a hospital in Kentucky, which is in the United States. Yeah, right. When did you move to Morea? So my mother is originally from Morea, um, my grandmother as well, and then my ancestors before that. But my mother moved away when um, she met my father when she was in her 20s. And she had me when she was 30, so she spent 10 years over there. And then um, once she divorced my father, she and I moved to France, the south of France. And I only was introduced to Moria when I was eight years old. What are your most stark memories of your childhood on the island? Um, I'd say my my fondest memories are the time I spent on the seashore playing with my cousins. Um, I had never seen such blue waters. I mean, growing up in the south of France, obviously there was access to the ocean, but the ocean's very... Um, you know, dark and cold and you just can't see anything in there. So your your imagination kind of runs wild and the water becomes a spooky place for you. But um, I I remember coming to Moria and being amazed by how clear the water was and being so afraid of things that I could see because I didn't, I didn't know what anything was. So even just coral or rocks and pebbles were quite scary in the beginning. Um, but then as I grew accustomed to to being around the ocean and its creatures, it really became a place of um, a place of solace, and and then my favorite place to be whenever I wasn't at home or at school. How much did being by the water influence you growing up? I think so much. I think everyone's childhoods definitely um, play their part in our decisions into adulthood, but. I think because of how great the memories were spent, um, you know, spending time with the stingrays and feeling that sort of freedom and, and extreme happiness and contentment was definitely something I searched, continued searching for as I left the country to, for, for educational purposes, I was constantly looking for that same feeling elsewhere. And I think up until recently, I didn't really get to experience it again until I came back to live here with my children. But yeah, just um, there's no place like home, I guess, is the message yeah. behind that. <laughs> Rob, when it came to birthing your own children, 
What started you on this journey of wanting to break away from what's considered mainstream? Well, I don't think it was as much a question of uh, breaking away. I think I was just, I was going, instead of running away from something that didn't feel right, I was really trying to go towards something that felt that felt good to me. Um, I wasn't ever quite, uh, the decision wasn't made because I was comparing this, this, this sort of like hospital system and then the outdoor system. I just, uh, it was, it was definitely, um, a calling in, in my guts. It's something that I, I dreamed of, you know, and when, when I got, I didn't ask myself the questions really until I got pregnant and I thought, Hmm, like, what is this going to be like for me? And then I started imagining it and, I mean, little did I know that what I imagined wasn't quite possible as what people were, I I just started finding out that maybe that what I wanted wasn't even going to be able to happen really. And I felt extreme sadness and depression and, um, what is the word? Like, like life really just didn't seem fair and the situation didn't seem right to me. And I remember crying a lot about it. Like, what do you mean? I, I can't do what I want. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just slowly discovered that it was going to be an uphill battle to, to make those dreams happen. What did you imagine for your births? Well, in the beginning I was joking, jokingly saying to my midwife who ended up being the woman that accompanied me through my births, but I, I kind of laughed about it and told her that I just wanted to be giving birth, um, in a valley and I wanted my screams to echo against the valley walls and <laughs> we joked and we laughed, but I, I was, I was a little bit serious, but I was scared to say these things because I just automatically was assuming that people were going to say I was crazy or that, uh, Oh, that would be a great fairy tale, but that's never going to happen. But, um, yeah, that, that was my dream or I, I really wanted to be in the ocean and, uh, just have my, my stingray friends are around. <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny how sometimes you're just really scared to say things to people because you're so afraid of judgment, but I felt pretty safe with my midwife. And then I slowly realized she was maybe just, just as crazy as I was. And she thought it was possible. <laughs> Amazing. What was that journey like trying to achieve that dream first time around? First time around was very difficult. It, um, I ran into a lot of obstacles. I don't even know where to start. I think one of the hard, most difficult one was finding the support, especially within the family. I think that you don't necessarily always need, you know, your parents or your friends' approval to do things. But birth is such a, it's such a sacred moment and it's a quite, it's a difficult journey to go through for a woman. You go through a complete transformation. I mean, a new person is being welcomed into the world that I think that in the ideal situation, your family um, on both sides, on the father's and the mother's side, ideally they would be supportive. And I think that that was one of the most difficult things the first time around. I was constantly being uh not the meaning's not the word like i was constantly being talked down to i was being talked down to as though my opinion wasn't valid because i had never gone through birth especially because i would would be facing women who had had children in hospitals who oftentimes had negative experiences in the hospitals and a lot of their experiences were projected onto me 
as a new mother. And it, it was just very, very difficult to just find somebody that, that I could speak to openly about these things. I just felt like I constantly had to keep things to myself or else I would be putting myself at risk uh, for like negative influence. Hmm. So that, that was the hard thing, I think, the, the most difficult. And then obviously the sort of the um, the technicalities of it that were hard, like getting a midwife here and and having having doctors be okay with it, I guess, with the situation. Um, yeah, fi- finding finding support was hard and having to having to live with the fact that I was making a decision that was kind of going against the current and and having to take care of myself through it all. I mean, I just had so many moments where I would just be talking to my baby and, you know, asking, asking my baby to trust me because I knew I trusted my baby. And, oh, just so many emotional moments, especially the first time around. The second time around, people were like, all right, she's done this before. We already know she, she's crazy. So we'll just let her do it. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and where did you end up giving birth to your first child? My first child was in Hapiti in Moria on, on the beach, right in front of my my family's um, land in Hawaii. They call it Ahupua'a. My, my grandmother inherited land um, from mountain all the way up, mountain all the way down to the ocean. And so my entire family lives um, on their different plots of land. But I grew up in this in this neighborhood, you know, running around from auntie and uncle eating breakfast here and then dinner here and uh, surrounded by my cousins. So I, I really wanted my son, I discovered it was a son at his birth, but um, I really wanted my baby to be born um, in a special place that meant something to me, meant something to my family, and that I would hope one day would mean something to him. Although he doesn't, he knows, he knows how he was born, but I don't think he, it's not significant to him just yet. Your mother was there with you on the beach on your family land during the birth of your first baby. How would you describe that whole experience? Um, it, it was great. It was great. I think it was, um, things lined up for, for, for my mother to be there. She actually, she could have just as easily not been there because my boyfriend and I were staying at um, family friend's house right on the beach because my mother inherited one of the mountain properties. And she actually wasn't sleeping with us every night. Um, it, it just kind of so happened that she and my stepfather were were sleeping over that night. And I started laboring in the middle of the night at three in the morning. And the moon was so bright and big. And I didn't wake anybody up at first because when it's your first time, you just have no clue what the signs are, or what it feels like to be going into labor, really. So I had my own quiet moment. I was sitting on the rocks on the beach. I had just woken up. I was by myself. I was looking at this gigantic moon, like setting into the ocean. And I just kept asking myself, like, is this it? I don't want to, I don't want to alarm anybody. I'm not going to wake anybody up until I'm sure. But, you know, I think we're all in tune. Like the energies are very high. Vibrations are all like all around. And actually everybody woke up on their own. I didn't even have to make any noise or say anything, but my midwife was already up drinking her tea, looking at me from her little house. My boyfriend was gotten up. He was also staring at me. And it all kind of came together. First, the work was done with just the three of us, my boyfriend, me and my midwife. You know, they they built me a fire, um, brought me a blanket on the beach. And then my mother came in. She woke up um, just before my son was born. And the funny thing is, you never know what you're going to act like in, in labor, 
but I actually really didn't want her there. Oh, wow. She, I, I think my midwife, yeah, my midwife was trying to reassure me. She said, your mother's here. She's coming. Like, all will be well. And I was like, I don't want her here. I don't want anybody touching me. I don't want ah. to, I just didn't want, I think that like burden, um, it was just such, you're just, you're somewhere else and you're so concentrated on the work. Um, yeah, I never expected that I wouldn't want her there, but it turns out I just, she, she kept, she kept her distance. She watched from afar. And then once baby came in, she was the first one to announce to me that it was a boy. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> she saw, she saw when he came out. Um, but I mean, obviously I was so glad that she was there. It's just, kind of a funny anecdote that during during the labor i i kind of shunned her away <laughs> but um it was magical that she was there and i'm i'm so grateful that she she got to experience um yeah the birth of her grandchildren but also experience me becoming a mother with me for sure what did she say to you afterwards she said that she was proud of me, but it wasn't it wasn't like the words that were really impactful. It was more of um it was it was the depth of the hug, you know, it was it was the silence after what she said. It was the tears we shed. And I think it's it was the exchange of of feelings um that really made me feel like she transformed as well. Yeah. I mean through me. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with French Polynesian mother, artist and freediver Rava Ray. Rava, going from your births to your life, you eventually left Morea to study, first doing an exchange in China to learn Mandarin at 15. How did that experience shape you? Mm, uh, I think it made me quite independent early on um it taught me how to be safe in the world and take care of myself it taught me how to be adaptable um how to observe uh, and learn through immersion how to stay humble make myself small because when you're in a world like that where everything's totally different i think you you come to find out you know nothing i mean you only know as much as as your environment allows you to know right so um Sometimes it's nice to be to be in that place to go somewhere and to uh to have all of your bearings stripped away from you and having to start over at zero and and learn how this new world functions, how this new world speaks, how this new world views people um it turned me into a really versatile person. It made me very good at learning, I think, and um set me up for a lot of success successes in my life I'd say um and I I think I became a flight attendant later on and I really think that the fact that I spoke Mandarin probably is what um got me the job yeah wow Uh, I know you did well at school and although you could have gone straight to an American Ivy League college after graduating you didn't what did you do instead oh I ended up taking a year off and taking a gap year and I traveled first. I went to Costa Rica and learned Spanish. And then after that, I went to Paris and did pastry school. I thought for, I knew I really loved the ocean and the arts. It's, it's funny how I just kind of navigated through life searching, like how I was going to integrate that into my career. But I, I went to Costa Rica thinking, okay, I'm going to do something with the ocean. So I became a dive master. 
and um, learned Spanish from being there <laughs> and loved it. I really, really loved it. And I thought I might continue. Perhaps I was going to study marine biology in college or in university. Um, and then one of my other plans during that year was to go to pastry school because I thought perhaps I really like the artistry of pastries. Maybe I want to like do beautiful decorations and desserts. I quickly, I did very well in the pastry school, but I quickly found out that I didn't really want to be in that environment. So, um, yeah, I spent that year developing in that way and then went to university after that in Hawaii, which is the closest I could get to, to Tahiti with my father's (laughs) approval. (laughs) Before we get more into the diving, pastry school what what's your signature dish oh i have to say i have not i don't have any signature <laughs> dishes um i would love to tell you that it's bon chocolat but i i did not pursue it after school my to my father's disappointment i swear he would always makes fun of me and says well i sent you to school but you never make any pastries you never bake <laughs> Um, but now banana bread has become my signature dessert, nice. but totally sort of separate, separate from the pastry school. <laughs> Robert, your images swimming with stingrays and whales in Morea are absolutely breathtaking. Can you describe for me your first ever dive with a humpback? It was, <laughs> it was the first time that I dove with, with a male humpback um, who was singing, actually. Um, it's something you can hear on on the internet. It's you know the sound of a whale. It's not something um, uncommon. People people know what it sounds like, but it's something it's something to hear it on a computer, and something else to feel to feel a whale's song. Um, and it's definitely, I think it's a life changing experience. Um, it's just like birth. Like you don't know what you're getting into. You're really excited. You're really scared. You can't wait for the moment. You're like, oh my gosh, somebody told me that there's a male singing right there. I'm going to get in. I'm going to go listen to him. But you jump in and um, yeah, you never expect that your whole body would be vibrating or that like tears would be flowing from your eyes underwater. Like, how is that possible? Or, or that you would be just so small, so, so tiny next to this gigantic whale. And how insignificant you are next to it, you know, and um, and how how it's almost like allowing you to be there because how easy would it be for him to just leave and never let you listen to his song? But yeah, great experience. And then I got I got to share that with my mother later on because although she grew up on Moria, she had never she had never dove with whales before. Outside of that beauty and that whole experience. Is there any fear in there being next to such a huge, beautiful creature? Um, I think fear has its space in every experience. I think uh, the the beautiful thing is to do things even with it. Um, There's almost, I think the greater fear is to live without having done that. Yeah. So it's just about which which thing are you most afraid of? <laughs> are you more afraid of living with the regret or living or just doing it and and accepting accepting the rest? You mentioned you took your mum diving with whales. What did that experience mean to you both? Well, I was pregnant with my with my second child at the time, and um, I wanted to do something really special for my birthday, and. I already, I had been diving with whales already and I loved it. Um, I just thought I really wanted to bring my family and share the experience together. 
and although you can never predict what you'll see on the ocean, um, although during whale season, it's very likely you'll see whales, but you just never know what type of interaction you're going to have with the whales because sometimes it's, it's a whale that just wants nothing to do with you. Sometimes it's a mother and, and a baby and they're sleeping, or sometimes it's a whale that's playing. So you can never guess, but um, I, f- I was pretty lucky that day that when I took my family, it ended up being, being a singer as well. Hmm. What were your mum's words or feelings after the dive? I can't quite remember, but it was something like, well, I can't believe I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> or wow, <laughs> which I couldn't believe it either. I mean, it's like they're right in your front yard. They've been in your front yard and they're so friendly. Friendly is the word I want to use, although I'm not sure that's really what they are. But they're so, um, they can be so welcoming. Yeah. Rava, something else you've shared with your mum is tifei-fei, traditional quilt making. Today you also run workshops teaching the art. Why did you embark on this journey? Well, um, in the beginning, tifei-fei was just a, a hobby. Um, and I really, um, I was doing it for fun just to pass the time. And then when when COVID came around, I was a flight attendant at the time and the industry was really taking a turn because of the pandemic. Um, I found myself making a decision to leave the company that I was working for. Um, and I started, I started, uh, quilting or doing tifei a lot more in my spare time. And I longed for the community that I had found in Hawaii, actually, because in Hawaii, they gather every Saturday and they, they quilt together and I thought isn't it strange you know that that there's not that many ladies that are doing it together and it's and it's strange that I had to learn in Hawaii and I couldn't even learn it in my own country and isn't it strange that my mother doesn't do it and I found all these sort of they started speculating on the art and I thought why isn't anybody teaching it um so initially I was just doing it um I'd say sort of this social experiment like is anybody interested in learning here and I held my first class in, I think, 2021. We were only five girls. And um, I slowly realized that I, I just I wasn't the only one that really loved it. And I was interested in, in re, uh, reappropriating. I don't know if that's an English word, but um, reclaiming. I'd say I wasn't the only one that wanted to reclaim this part of our, our, our heritage. So, yeah, I did it as... Um, as a as a way to move move this community into the space that I, I wanted it I thought would be nice for it to be. And now it's just become one of my professions. <laughs> and you say your mom didn't do it. What was it like teaching her? Oh, it was just fun. We love doing manual stuff together. Ever since I was little we would, you know, we would braid, we would do bead bracelets and it was just another way to do something fun with my mother and um and now she helps me with the business so now it's even more fun because we're working together (laughs) it it sounds like you and your mother have such an incredible relationship both sharing experiences how would you describe your relationship with your mother um she's my best friend i'd say yeah i tell you i've we've always told each other everything there's never been 
any taboo subjects. I've always felt comfortable speaking to her about everything. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that she gave me. She, she's always been my mother, but I think her way of parenting was to be my friend first and foremost. And because of that, we've stayed friends my whole life, even though when I left for schooling, I didn't see her very much, but I always missed her. And now that I'm back, she's helping me raise my children. And yeah, we see each other all the time. And I'm thankful for it because because I'm I'm aware that that's not everybody's relationship with their mother. Rava, thank you so much for joining me from Morea. Of course, anytime. <laughs> that was Rava Ray, artist, diver, and Tifefe maker from French Polynesia. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search ABC Pacific. I'll be back with you next year, but in the meantime, you can hear some of the best episodes of Stories from the Pacific from 2023 right here on ABC Radio Australia across the summer holidays, like this interview with entertainer Cindy of Samoa. Right. I like being untidy (laughs) because it made me different, you know. I was different. I wasn't Tina Turner. And there was one stage in my life where I stopped doing Tina and stop doing Whitney and all that because I thought, oh, nah, I don't want all that. I yeah. just want to break from it. <laughs> I, I just want to be me. I didn't want to be a copy. Right. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to be a copycat. I want to be Cindy. Just me. <laughs> yeah. And who is Cindy on stage? Just the crazy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You'll also hear from ocean scientist Dr. Nicole Yamase from the Federated States of Micronesia. So you are going to the deepest part of the ocean in the whole world. Limiting factors. So there are limiting things, limited light, limited oxygen. You are going in a machine that is basically holding your life. And if anything goes wrong, that's basically it. You would turn into dust immediately because of the the 16,000 PSI. The pressure would just crush you immediately. I think lots of people are having flashbacks to what happened with the recent Titanic submersible. Were you scared at all? I was... Honestly, I was not scared to go down. I told my mom I was going down and she started crying. I was more scared about, you know, being the first person, the first Pacific Islander to go down and representing not only Micronesia, but the whole Pacific. I was just scared of, it was that mentality of, am I the right person? And you'll learn about the story of West Papuan Rocky App. Yeah, my family was quite in danger. That's why uh, we already were informed to flat West Papua to the neighboring Papua New Guinea. And that's what we did in the hope that we would be reunited with our dad when he would left the prison um, at the time. So my mother and three brothers at the time, I was still my mom's belly, fled to the neighboring uh, uh, country, Papua New Guinea, uh, via a boat from Jaipura to Fanimo in the night, in the midst of the night, in a small boat. That's what I've heard from my mother. Um, and yeah, imagine a pregnant woman um, 
in a boat in the night with three other kids. Um, uh, that was already quite dangerous. But realizing that when we stay in West Papua, there was an opportunity that we were killed, uh, all the family, really pushed us to go to Papua New Guinea. And that's where we were, arrived, um, uh, I think, a couple of days later um, in a refugee camp in Papua New Guinea. And that's where I was born, uh, um, in the refugee camp in Papua New Guinea, where we heard the message that um, yeah, our father was murdered um, uh, several months before. Uh, April, it became April 1984, and I was born in August 1984, so four months late. You can find these interviews and more on the Stories from the Pacific podcast or by listening to ABC Radio Australia over the summer holidays. This program was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people and we pay our respect to their elders past and present. 